Today on the Goal USA podcast, it's national team time. We talk about the United States with Ivis Gillespie and Thomas Floyd, and also take a look at why the game against Mexico might not be as good as previous edition. And we don't forget about Major League Soccer. We take a look at T. Floyd's MLS Team of the Week and all the beefs we have after rivalry weekend. Stay tuned to the Goal USA podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Goal USA MLS podcast, but also going to explore some national team uh, talk today. And because of that, we've got Goal's MLS and U.S. national team expert, Ivis Glarzip in Jersey. What's up, Ivis? Hey, John. How's it going? Doing well, man. And also in the nation's capital, it's Thomas Floyd, also an MLS and national team. Uh, also, I'll call you an expert. Oh, too much? Too much? Uh, it's generous. Expert in training. A man who knows some things, Thomas Floyd. Uh, I was, let's just jump right into it, man. Obviously, the U.S. has two big uh, World Cup qualifiers coming up. They're already uh, starting to go into camp uh, because of the friendly against Venezuela, starting to get things going. That has affected a lot of MLS uh, teams because I don't think they knew the camp was going to be quite this long. What do you see when you look at this roster? To me, it looks like this is a pretty full-strength team. Right, it definitely is, and and when you look at what Bruce Arena had to work with in March, it makes it, it makes it even kind of more glaring, just how healthy the team is now. Obviously, it's not a hundred percent full strength because you know Jermaine Jones isn't in camp now. Tim Chandler has pulled out of camp uh, with a hamstring injury, and uh, and someone like Sebastian Legette, if he were healthy, he probably he would definitely be in the conversation as well. But when you think about most of the very very top players. As of right now, knock on wood, they're all pretty healthy. Knock on Bobby Wood, they're all pretty healthy. <laughs> uh, you, you got Bobby Wood, Fabian Johnson, uh, Jeff Cameron, a lot of guys who've had knocks over the past year, and it's it's always been a case where a couple of them always managed to be hurt. Uh, but now they're all healthy right now, and uh, if Bruce Arena if can can avoid any injuries in the next week or so, uh, that's going to be huge because with those two games so close together, he's going to have to do some lineup shuffling. I feel like you had that knock on Bobby Wood joke kind of in the chamber there. Was that premeditated? <laughs> that totally was off the cuff. That was the, I hope so. <laughs> it wasn't really good enough to be premeditated. Uh, you know, it, part of the it's a nice problem to have for Bruce because you look at this team and and there are a lot of options for him. Where you mentioned in the previous qualifiers, those first two games that he came in after after Clemson was fired, and he needed results quickly. Uh, he didn't necessarily have kind of the full complement of players. Obviously, that game against Honduras went totally fine. But now that you're facing Trinidad and Tobago and then Mexico, you have the added difficulty of playing in altitude. They're playing in Colorado to sort of uh, counteract that, I guess, or at least uh, acclimate to it as best as they can. He's going to have some decisions to make, though, with his roster because there's a lot of different positions where you look and there's a, there's a couple different position battles where, yeah, you know, I think you probably feel comfortable with either player. Maybe it kind of just depends on on who shows best in, in the camp in these friendlies, right? Or this friendly. Right. Well, I, I mean, one thing I would say is absolutely you're going to see uh, one or two guys on the bench for that Trinidad game who normally are lock, rock, you know, lock starters. And that's just because of how many people – um, are available right now. And the thing that Bruce Arena has to balance is, is putting together the best group collectively as opposed to the best 11 players. And that's something that, that you know, you fa- fans in general always kind of have some trouble with is they, they you know, a lot of fans just want to get the best guys on the field and who cares if it works as a system. But, you know, Bruce is going to have to decide what works best as, a, as an 11. And I think for that reason, you're going to see 
uh, one or two guys. You might see Omar Gonzalez on the bench, even though he's coming off an un- unbelievable season with Pachuca. You might see a Clint Dempsey or Bobby Wood on the bench, uh, and, and that's I'm sure some people can be like, "Wow, what, what's going on there?" The bright on the bright side, whoever doesn't get into that Trinidad game or doesn't start that Trinidad game, is probably going to start that Mexico game because I, I have a feeling both USA and Mexico are going to shake things up quite a bit. There's only two days between those games, and, and the sense I get from both camps is that there's going to have to be a lot of shakeups. Hey, Floyd, when you look at this roster, and we mentioned some of the position battles, what sort of stands out to you as a place where, uh, you know, Ivis mentioned maybe there's some platooning going on, maybe some some opportunities for players who, even though pretty much everyone in this squad, with the exception of some of the younger guys, like Kellen Acosta, Paul Ariola, Jordan Morris, you know, most of these guys are pretty experienced, but who jumps out as a player who maybe can take advantage uh, of, of an opportunity that maybe they wouldn't have gotten previously and, and maybe poke into that starting role? I'd say Kellen Acosta is a definite candidate to get serious minutes in central midfield with Jermaine Jones sidelines. In general, that position, I think, is the most interesting spot on the field going into these qualifiers. We could see Michael Bradley partner with Acosta. We could see him partner with an MLS veteran like Dax McCarty, who's in fine form and uh, a natural fit if they want to play that type of formation with two deep-lying central midfielders and have more attack-minded wingers. We could see the diamond midfield come back with Clint Dempsey or Christian Pulisic in the playmaker role. We could see Jeff Cameron step up into the defensive midfield role. He's been playing on the club level, considering that depth at center back that would maybe allow for a John Brooks, Omar Gonzalez central defensive pairing. So there are, there are a lot of different options in central midfield to replace Jermaine Jones, who started the last qualifier against Panama. And, and that's just a spot on the field that I think presents a lot of opportunities for certain guys to leave their mark and, and really establish themselves, especially considering Jones seems to be uh, on the decline from a national team perspective anyway. Ooh, he's going to hear about this and you know, <laughs> post some Instagrams or something. It is interesting. It's a fascinating spot. And for so long, Ivis, for, what, 15 years, that was the place where, you know, oh, the U.S. is totally set there. Now there's there are still good options there, I think. You know, I, I don't think anyone would be too uncomfortable necessarily with Kellen Acosta playing there. But he's a young player who hasn't necessarily proven himself on the international level, I think he has uh, five caps or something like that. How do you see that sort of central midfield uh, shaking up without uh, Jermaine Jones, Ivis? Well, personally, I don't think we're going to see Acosta. I think we he's played well enough, definitely, this season to, to, to get some minutes. But I just think in these games, you want to get experience on the field. And uh, the way these two games match up, uh, I, I see Bruce Arena going with a more attack-minded lineup against Trinidad. And I think you will see or could see the diamond with Michael Bradley as the lone holding midfielder, Pulisic in front of him. Uh, and in that case, you don't really miss Jermaine Jones in that setup, much like you did in, you didn't miss him in March against Honduras. Now, the game in Mexico, that's a whole other story. I think you could see a Jeff Cameron with Michael Bradley in there. As, as Thomas pointed out, Cameron finished out the year playing in the midfield, and he's comfortable there. He can handle it. And then you can put Omar Gonzalez on the field. You, you kind of have to put Omar Gonzalez on the field against Mexico and their forwards. Um, so for that, I, th- I think we'll probably see Cameron be the guy who gets brought in to kind of fill in for Jermaine Jones. I think Kellen Acosta's, I th- the Gold Cup, I really think is going to be the showcase event for Kellen Acosta. One other question I want to ask you, Ives, before we move on and, and talk a little MLS after the break. Uh, you mentioned that that first game, that Trent Tobago qualifier, there's going to be people 
on Twitter and just fans in general upset? What's your bold prediction for someone that they're going to be mad is on the field? <laughs> mad is on the field. You know, that's a good question. If you look at this team, I mean, could could a Dax McCarty end up in there? Eh, that would I'm sure that might annoy some people who feel like he shouldn't even be there, even though I think he's been, he's been outstanding for the fire. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe Jorge Villafaña is one, okay. or maybe I mean, even though I think he did well in in March. So honestly, I think I, I don't think we're going to see if anything's changed in the in the now with Bruce Arena replacing Aaron Klinsman is I don't think anyone's expecting that 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 almost uh, mandatory head scratcher lineup <laughs> inclusion that was the staple of Jurgen Klinsmann's teams, right? I mean, I yeah. feel like more often than not, he would put at least one wild card in there. It's like he pick his eleven, his, he picked ten, and then the eleven he would kind of to take out of a hat. Uh, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Arena, you feel like, I, I mean, with the options that he has, I think it's going to be eleven experienced guys, uh, eleven players who have had, I think, multiple qualifiers. They want to win that game. They want to get those three points because they don't want to go to Mexico needing a win. And personally, I think both teams, I, I know Mexican fans are going to go crazy if they hear that. I think Mexico and the U.S. are going to be playing for a draw in that second game just because of the schedule, yeah. just because of the short turnaround. Uh, I think you're going to see major shakeups in both lineups, and I think you're going to see two teams that, are, that will be content to leave Azteca with a point. No, for sure. I mean, not only does Mexico have the quick turnaround from the Honduras game, but they're also, right now they're training in Denver, they're going to New York, then they're going back to Mexico City, and they have a couple days there, both of those games, and then Russia. I mean, it's going to be insane. You have a team that's sort of healthy, but you're already starting to see a couple guys drop, as they always do. You know, Jesus Corona, the goalkeeper, wasn't able to to even join up in the camp. Nestor Rajo breaks his hand. They're being sort of shady about if he might be an option for Russia, or if he's maybe Gold Cup, or if he's sort of done for the summer. Obviously, a broken hand isn't the worst injury a football player soccer player could suffer but uh he's no longer with the team right now so uh their depth is is considerable but yeah it's gonna be i think that game against the u.s while it's important for fans the scheduling is a bit of a bummer to me because uh it's gonna be tough to see both teams put out a full quality side luckily we are sorry go ahead well, I was just going to say that that's the thing people need to realize about these run-ups and and these friendlies and these camps is that you know you you can't get caught up too much in results. I'm sure in the Venezuela game you'll probably see wholesale changes in the second half of that game. So I don't I don't think Bruce Green is going to care a whole lot if they win that game or not. It's just like with Juan Carlos Osorio in that Croatia game, uh, that that friendly. I mean, at the end of the day, that was a money grab. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you had asked Osorio. Would he would no. he want to play that game? No. And he would have said no. He would have much preferred a closed door scrimmage. But you know what? Bills have to be paid. Yeah. Money has to be made. So they played that game. But and no one should look at. I mean, I, I, I don't tell you that, but I'm sure you agree. No one should look at that Mexico result and think, uh oh, they're vulnerable. They're there for the taking. That that game didn't mean a lot. What did no. you think of that game? Well, I wrote I wrote on goal, and I mean I I believe everything that I write. I truly think this does have to serve as sort of a wake up call and and be the low point of the summer for Mexico. But at the same time, if it is the low point of the summer, no one will remember that game at all. I mean, this is a game where it's Croatia's B team. They got two goals on on errors basically. Mexico was the better team. They just weren't able to find the back of the net. I mean, it was it was sort of a finishing issue. And of course, once Croatia gets one goal, they immediately get a second from a Diego Reyes air and then Croatia's is able to sit back and, and cool their heels while Mexico's trying to break through so it, it definitely wasn't the sort of thing I think that Mexico will see in the qualifiers certainly not in the Confederations Cup I mean maybe Honduras puts a bit of a bunker on but I, I don't think that's something that they're going to have to really face plus the fitness is difficult because half of the guys haven't played in three weeks four weeks 
half of the guys are just getting off the European season and, you know, got off the plane 12 hours ago from, you know, their European leagues and haven't gotten their legs yet. So definitely not time to panic for Mexico. I, I still think that they're the favorites to top the hex. I think that they're probably the favorites in both of the games that they're going to play uh, in Mexico City um, against Honduras in the U.S. So it, it's going to be fascinating. Hopefully also fascinating will be the second half of this podcast. We're going to take a look at MLS, talk a little bit more with T. Floyd about his team of the week and all of the beefs that we have with it. Stay tuned after this short bit of music. United goes to Vancouver and gets a 1-0 victory. The Red Bulls top the Revs 2-1. Colorado Rapids defending home turf and scoring a goal 1-0 over Sporting Kansas City. Minnesota United beats Orlando City 1-0. Real Salt Lake with the same score over the Philadelphia Union. The Cali Clasico was a festival of goals 4-2. The Galaxy get the away victory. Atlanta United defends their honor, uh, I guess, or whatever gets revenge. Uh, beats New York City FC after losing a couple weeks ago 3-1. And FCD and the Houston Dynamo, no one could beat Jesse Gonzalez or Tyler Derrick. A scoreless draw. It was an interesting weekend, guys. A lot of standout performances. Uh, T. Floyd, take us through your team of the week, and and, uh, and and who was the best player for you? My team of the week. Uh, you don't have to give us the best, best eleven. Give us like your yeah. four standout <laughs> players. Well, I was uh, very impressed by Bill Hamid and goal for DC United. He's a guy who uh, was just omitted from the U.S. roster. Not the most shocking development in the world considering he's been a bit inconsistent to start the MLS season but the last couple weeks he's been on top of his game and if he stays in this type of form uh, makes the type of type of big saves that we saw in DC's one nothing win over Vancouver I think he's a guy who's going to be a real factor in the gold cup this summer Uh, Victor Vazquez I continue to be impressed by him I I believe I mentioned him a couple weeks ago on Mm -hmm. the podcast as my uh, as a real candidate for newcomer of the year at this still fairly early stage in the season. I guess we're getting closer well, it's never to the, too mid- early to to the newcomer mid- of the year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vasquez, just the, the extra dynamic he brings to that Toronto attack that we already recognized was so lethal with Javinko, with Altador, with Bradley pulling the string, strings from a deep lying position. And now to have the MLS assist leader, a guy who can, get some goals as well. And Vasquez just adding another weapon. He really makes that team all the more dangerous. And I think is one of the main reasons they're a supporter shield contender. And then uh, Miguel Almiron has been on fire for Atlanta over the last couple weeks. And he's a guy who I think we've seen uh, much like Hamid. He's a young player who's had little bouts of inconsistency this season, but when he's on, it's really tough to beat that Atlanta team and, and the way he he pulls the strings in the attack, his finishing prowess. And then also 
an underrated aspect of his game, I think, is his ability to to pounce on those loose balls as a part of Gerardo Martino's pressing. He's a guy who has uh, an under-the-radar work rate and is really key to what that Atlanta team does when they're trying to fluster uh, an opponent the way they were able to kind of get under the skin of NYCFC this weekend in their 3-1 to win. I'm a little flustered as well because I thought that uh, someone you've left off the team. I, I was, you, but you back me up on this one. Christian Roldan, a great week, scores the goal in the rivalry game, helps uh, helps control the midfield. It was, a, it was a good day for Seattle, Ivis. Yeah, I have to say, my biggest gripe with the team of the week, and I, I, I hate that. I hate what I hate picking on Thomas' this team of the week because he does a good job. Uh, he does a better job than some other team of the true, weeks out there that I, won't, that, that, that I won't name. But Christian Roldan, for me, not only should he be on team of the week, he, for me, was player of the week. I mean, when you watch that game, uh, you're playing in it's in a, a, the Derby game against a, a Portland team that, as much as they're struggling, they still have a very dangerous midfield. And Ro- Roldan was the star of that game, and to win that big game, I think he deserved it. Miguel Almiron, he Almiron was the winner of the "Hey, who scored the most goals?" Okay, I'm going to vote because I didn't watch any games award. Uh, that that's pretty much what that was. But no, look, Almiron's great. I'm not trying. Atlanta fans, don't at me. Don't come. Don't come they're at me. Almiron's great. I would argue Gressel was was more valuable than than Almiron. I would give Gressel a vote before I give Almiron a vote. But back to Roldan. Roldan was great. He was outstanding, coming into his own. And I really think he's going to have a part to play in the Gold Cup. I think Bruce Arena has to be looking at his development and think, I really like what I see. And I think you could see him and him and Kellen Acosta. Imagine that midfield. For the record, Julian Gressel is also in the MLS team of the week. Uh, and I, I, I'm a fan of roll down. <laughs> I put him on the bench for the team of the week. I guess when I looked at that game, it was, you know, he, he played with a lot of heart and grit in that matchup. I think he took like, Two or three different blows to the face <laughs> that mm. he endured, See, and, uh, and and to that I degree, know, I, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. blows to the face. <laughs> it's, it's coming next. But nice. yeah, uh, long story short, I, I also had a lot of respect for that performance from Roldan. Let's take a look at, at some of the other games in the league. We mentioned uh, the Seattle game. We mentioned Toronto crushing Columbus. Uh, what Let's else talk to- about the dive. Let's talk about the dive. We can't uh, DC United. Listen, DC United fans, I have no issues with your team, but that you, that you guys did not deserve that win. I mean, it was an absolute blatant dive that got them the penalty. And then just when you thought justice would prevail and Vancouver gets a penalty right at the end and they miss it. I mean, it was just uh, it was just such an unfortunate result. But DC United will take it. Off the post. T. Floyd, do you want to defend your, uh, your fair city's honor? I know you're a fair guy. You think that wasn't a good call? I mean, I thought it was a... <laughs> ridiculous dive and i if i were in mls's shoes i know they have protocol for this he just got uh fined for diving the previous week so i feel like the one game suspension almost is generous at at this point it should be kind of a a second offense all right two game suspension it to me it was it was absurd and the type of thing that makes me glad we're getting VAR and MLS in the second half of the season. That was Costa is, Rican he, on Costa Rican crime, right? That was uh, Ortiz on Waston, yeah? It was. Ortiz. Ortiz is to diving as Yamil Assad is to elbows at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, uh, is there anything else that stands out? Should we wrap up? Should we, should we go on one more? What else you got? Uh, we got to talk about Toronto FC. I mean, just absolutely destroying Columbus without Javinko, without Altidore. We already know they were a good team. 
But I mean, it, it's it's some yeah. it's just the job that they've put done putting in that roster is impressive. Well, it's interesting too because we were talking. I mean, maybe even in the when you were here, Ibis, when you stopped by the podcast, we were saying, you know, this is a team. Ah, they're struggling. They're like haven't haven't really got it going into gear. And now, not only with this win without some of their bigger stars, but also that game in Seattle where they're able to do the same thing. Then you add them to the mix, and they're still able. You know, their stars are still their stars. It's a team that's got some impressive depth. Tifloid, you talked about how great Vasquez has been, which has surprised me because he was really bad in Mexico. But he seems to be finding his form there. And, and you know, the defense, which was kind of a question last year, and then sort of grew into the, I, I think, grew into the role, is, has also been pretty good. I really fixate on the depth of this team as well. The the fact that they're able to bring on extremely talented, promising young homegrown players like Raheem Edwards and Jordan Hamilton and Jay Chapman. And those are the guys who are kind of rounding out the roster. And then you have this star studded first 11 and some veterans on the bench like Chevru, who's been very productive this season in limited minutes. This is just a top to bottom team that I think is built for a supporter shield run this year for an MLS cup run and, and also built to be successful for, for years to come because of those young, talented players in the pipeline. Definitely keep, keep well, before you get to that, I got, I'm, I will be writing on this topic this week on gold.com. So check it out. Uh, Toronto FC and their depth because uh, what they've done and what they're doing has never been done before. So I'm definitely looking forward to digging into that a little bit. Okay, I have a really nerdy question. I feel like I've got the right audience with you two here to ask this question to. If TFC wins the Supporter Shield, wins MLS Cup, loses this year's Canadian Championship, but wins the playoff to get into the CONCACAF Champions League, because that's that's how the format is right now. Is it a treble? No. <laughs> There's only one treble. treble that anyone's going to appreciate, and that's the Open Cup, MLS Cup, and uh, CONCACAF Champions League. So if they win the... If they win the well, I... I, if they win the I, Canadian Championship, I'm willing to call it a treble. But if they lose the Canadian Championship and they lost that game to Ottawa, even though they had some good young players kind of stand out in that game and obviously gave a lot of guys a rest with the Friday game coming, if they if they win that, I'm willing to call it a treble. There's not enough teams in the Canadian Championship to to get to <laughs> they, count that as a legitimate trophy. Expanding. Come on, they it's got, not the got, Open Cup. They got six teams right now. Is that right? Five or six? That's exactly exactly. And look, in ten years, when the Canadian Pro League is thriving and there's ten, twelve teams there, then you can talk about it. I think next year gets expanded pretty heavily. I'm not sure exactly the number, but it's it's supposed to grow. We can talk with Rudy Schuler about that sometime in the future. I just thought you would enjoy that wonkish question, listeners. Hopefully, I'll I'll throw you I'll throw you a bone on that one. I think it's a legitimate treble. It's not quite as impressive as a treble that would include winning the far larger, more expansive U.S. Open Cup. But that's, you know, you, you can can't only play just the teams say, in front so, of you. Okay, here exactly. you go. Supporter yeah. Shield, MLS Cup, CONCACAF Champions League. There's your trouble. Yeah, but they, that would have to wait until next year. So wait, okay, mm. if they win this, if they win the 2017 Supporter <laughs> Shield, MLS <laughs> Cup, and the 2018 CCL. That's a treble. That's a treble. All right. Toronto FC, you, you heard it. There's your motivation. <laughs> Listeners, thanks for sticking with us through this. Hope you've enjoyed. We'll join you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week with more national team talk, more MLS talk, anything that's going on in the North American world of soccer. Ivis and T4, thanks for joining me. Listeners, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.